Welcome to Accelerate Your Business Growth, where we're exploring all sorts of business topics. Experts from around the world join me, your host, Diane Helbig, for a conversation where they share their expertise with all of you. Take what you need, when you need it. Featured on Inc.com, Forbes, and MSNBC's Your Business, this podcast is recognized as one of the best podcasts for small business, sales, leadership, social media, and more. When it comes to business, Accelerate Your Business Growth has got it covered. And now on with the show. My guest today is Patrick Coletti. Patrick is a leadership and organizational culture expert, champion for refounders, and author of the leadership book, Refounder. He draws on his experience as a technology executive, his business growth expertise, and a passion for company culture to share growth-oriented guidance that challenges social and cultural norms, both in the workplace and in the community. Patrick is passionate about creating flourishing businesses and empowering the next generation of refounders, business leaders and entrepreneurs who revitalize the places where they live, work, and play. Thanks so much for joining me today, Patrick. Diane, love that we get to have this conversation today. Oh, me too. And I'm just going to jump right in there and say, okay, tell me more about what is a refounder, please. Well, um, it's easy for us to think about the word founder, right? Somebody who has gone out and taken an idea and just started something from scratch. But less discussed uh, are these refounders. And so they come in lots of different shapes and sizes, but the, the DNA is, is usually pretty typical. These are people who are willing to challenge the status quo, people who typically work in an existing context, whether that's a city, whether that's a, a business uh, or some other kind of institution, and they work from the inside to create change. And so I've seen this with mid-level managers, I've seen this with interns, uh, and, I, and most typically I see this with CEOs that have been brought in to change a culture, change an organization, and basically create a, uh, a new way forward. And so um, if you use that as, a, uh, as an example, those are typically who we think of as refounders. Wow, that's so interesting. So, so that sounds to me like it's anybody, am I getting this right? That it's anybody within an organization who wants to affect change? Absolutely. So I, I think the easiest way, you know, for us to, to point to it is the leaders usually and, and to say that, you know, the, the CEO that's been brought in to create change or the new chief culture officer that, that has been brought in to create change. But what I'm finding and, and what the research is showing that the best run organizations actually begin to teach these kind of refounder principles uh, to all new employees. Because if you have some measure of success, the chances are, are pretty good that within a period of five to eight years is what our research shows, you're going to need to have a refounder movement in your organization, your institution, um, and even your city. And so, you know, success is wonderful, but it also leads to uh, comfort in many cases. And so as organizations think about teaching those next level leaders, just this whole philosophy and the movement of being a refounder become all the more important. Wow, that is fascinating. So, okay, so, so it's someone who, who is some sort of leader, but um, what are the characteristics of a refounder? 
Well, what we found is that there are really four specific uh, phases that any refounder movement goes through. And so what we've also found is that rarely uh, does any one refounder possess all of these uh, attributes. And so Mm. we've actually developed a a personality indicator around refounders. And so we find that typically they fit into one of the, these four descriptions. So I can read those now and then we can, we can chop that up a little bit and figure out where people may sit. So the first stage in any uh, refounder movement is that somebody isn't afraid to take a sober look at a hard reality. Huh. So there's, there's, there's a person and a personality that has observed what's going on. They've taken a sober look. They're not caught up in, you know, the commotion uh, or whatever the momentum of the day may be. And they're willing to take a look at that hard reality. That's a very special kind of person that's, that's as you'll see, pretty different than some of these other folks that I'll, I'll, um, I'll identify. So next, once you've identified what's broken, uh, refounders selectively focus. And so they drill in on uh, this idea I've written about in the book called Problem Zero. Problem Zero is not a root cause analysis. Problem Zero is that problem that either threatens the survival of the organization or the flourishing of the organization. And so to properly identify Problem Zero, you need to selectively focus, right? Each of us have lots of priorities and a to-do list that never ends. But to be successful uh, in any refounder movement, you have to identify that problem zero and selectively focus. And once again, you can tell the persona of this person uh, may be very different from the first and, and likely very different than the next two. Well, the third phase, you know, once you've taken a sober look and, and identified what's broken, you've, you've identified problem zero and you've, you've created this selective focus and you're getting ready to, to develop that plan. You need somebody who can imagine an audacious and bold new possibility, even if the possibility seems remote. Why do you need to do that? Because what got you to where you are is definitely not going to be the thing that gets you to a better future. And so you've got to have that, you know, I like to use that word uh, bold and audacious new possibilities. Now that person, that creative dreamer type is probably very different than the second person I just described. Somebody who is excellent and expert at focus and identifying problem zero. Um, And then fourth, Refounders uh, spring to action. And the goal here is you need executives that create better realities for people, both in their immediate communities and in the world at large. And what that means is leaders who are excellent at leading from the perspective of a bigger purpose, not just being taskmasters, but visionary leaders that can share why the work you're doing actually creates a better place uh, on this planet Earth. So those are the four stages that we see pretty typically in any important uh, refounder movement. And what we found is that there are some refounders that possess two or three of these. It's unlikely any refounder uh, has all four, which is why all refounder movements are a team event. Oh. Okay, this is going to sound probably like a weird question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, that sounds to me like, even though you have, I get the whole, you know, it's gotta be a a team 
of refounders, they have to respect what the others bring to the table. Right? Absolutely. Is that a difficult, so this is my question really, do you find that to be like a difficult thing that, you know, people who are very, you know, focused have difficulty with people who uh, imagine audacious and bold possibilities? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I had a, a pretty profound experience in my um, early 30s where I joined uh, something called the Leaders Collaborative, kind of kicking and screaming, but it was a leadership development program. And the foundation was laid on the fact that we all have unique strengths, like we're, we're created uniquely and wonderfully. And the quicker you recognize that you're really good, really good at one or two things and probably pretty lackluster at another five or eight or 10 things. The sooner you recognize that and don't have the reaction that I need to just go get better at those five, 10, 15 other things and instead find ways where you can double down in those areas that you're strongest. I mean, that's that's the basis of strengths philosophy really and, and strength finders and so many other assessments Myers-Briggs and DISC and Impact uh, and SEMA, that's the, that's the foundation. So, you know, it wasn't until I was in my early 30s that I had a breakthrough there, right? I, I tended to think that, you know, my way, my style, my personality was, was probably the best and people that didn't think as quickly as I did or, or move as quickly as I did or weren't as ambitious or, uh, as I was, they just didn't get it. Um, and, and what I found a little later in life is that's absolutely not true. And in fact, if you have those strengths, you must surround yourself with people who have strengths that uh, accommodate that, that encourage that, and actually make it work. Because you can have a grand vision, but if you don't have people that actually know how to manage a project or to execute the tasks or to build the code uh, or to meet the customers, then you just have a nice idea. Yeah, boy, that, that's really interesting. Okay, so it sounds to me like this isn't the kind of thing that, that someone becomes necessarily. It feels like it's more that they realize where they sit as a refounder. Well, the steps I just mentioned really are uh, personality strengths that you have. Okay. Becoming a refounder is a choice, right? We, yeah. we, we work in a variety of contexts. Some of us work in the home. Some of us work uh, in institutions. Some of us work in software companies. And some of us work in a coffee shop. And, and so really the, the question is, do you want to make an effort to make the world a better place? Like, do you want to have a, uh, a vision for creating the kind of place that, that you want to live. And so, yes, we have these personalities that we can bring to bear for that, but, but the decision to be a refounder is, you know, candidly the decision to say status quo isn't good enough. I think the world is broken, or I think this particular context is broken and I want to make it better. Okay. So how does a business leader become a refounder? Well, I mean, working these steps is a great, great way to start, you know, in, in any given business, um, whether it's five years, six years, seven years, or whether you're on death's door today, which was my, my situation, 
uh, and how I first learned about being a refounder, um, you're going to reach a, you know, a, a, a stasis moment, right? Where your business isn't growing, your customers aren't, you know, coming in as quickly as they used to, or maybe you can't find your first customer. Um, there'll be some situation that, that makes it clear that change is required. Now, as I mentioned in our situation, that was, that was pretty simple. Everybody was laid off. The chairman called and said, listen, if you want to try to turn it around, we'll give you three months. Wow. But for those that are already in an existing context that perhaps has some momentum and some comfort, it's a very different question. So it, it will start with, what do you know or think is broken or will be broken very soon? And if you don't act, you will fail or a lack of flourishing will occur in, in, in your venture. That's step one. And I think business owners and, and leaders, they probably know. And uh, many of us, uh, you know, they, we get comfortable and we don't want to be challenged because we, we kind of like where we are or where we've been. And uh, we don't want to uh, stir the pot, so to speak. Yeah, it sort of feels like um, what got you here won't get you there. So you have to be able to look at it, um, which I, I guess is that that first personality, being able to look at something, um, taking a sober look at a hard reality, being able to say this is broken or this is about to be broken and the impact is going to be. That's right. Dramatic. Hmm. Yeah. And a lot of times, you know, senior leaders, um, because of their very, very full schedules and, you know, the variety of things that we add on to our initiative list, we actually can lose track of the hard realities. And sometimes, you know, you don't want to hear them. And we, we hear about that all the time where, hmm. you know, speaking truth to power is important, but it's a, it's a discipline and it's difficult to learn and it candidly can be frightful. Yeah, right. Exactly. So, okay. So, are there, are there, are there like certain, I guess what I'm trying to figure out is how a business leader um, can identify their problem zero. Like are there questions, particular questions they should be asking themselves or, you know, what is that? How, how do they, well, you know, that's a, it's a great question. There's a, there's a whole chapter written on identifying problem zero. And, you know, it, it really starts with, um, as many companies do and individuals do, you know, what are the, what are the list of uh, problems and issues and initiatives, you know, that we have and really peeling the onion on that and, and trying to get to the bottom of the, the why, not just the what. Uh, and then really unpacking, you know, what that means. And sometimes problem zeros are, um, you know, they're, they're not as profound as you want. They're, they're, sometimes they're really obvious. Maybe it's a culture change. Um, you know, in, in our situation, uh, quite a while back, we had a lack of clients. Um, we had a lack of direction, a lack of um, secure products. Um, but we had one particular problem that was worse than all the others despite the fact that we had angry shareholders and it was a mess and bills hadn't been entered into, uh, you know, QuickBooks at the time, we had debt and uh, we had a half a million dollars in debt. And so when Chris and I accepted that role to, uh, you know, to essentially be refounders, we got to the bottom of it. And, and what we learned was that it just took uh, a few creditors to come together 
to force the company into bankruptcy. And we identified uh, bankruptcy as probably the fatal blow. And, and while you would think, well, you need to have a product that really works well, those things are true, but we believe the company could not exist um, if we went into bankruptcy, just didn't have the investor backing and, and just wouldn't have the wherewithal to do it. And so in those earliest days, our problem zero was the debt. We, we had to get that half a million dollars to you know, 20 different vendors worked out. And we needed to get it behind us before we could truly focus on what we wanted to do with the rest of our lives and with the products. Now, that changes. You know, six years in, uh, our problems here was no longer the debt. We we were we had revenue, we had earnings, we had savings, and so we had to identify another one. And the same thing happened again. You know, I think the next time was maybe seven years later. And so problem zero never goes away. In fact, there's a, there's a problem zero each day, each week, each month, um, and it changes. And so it's just a discipline of getting serious about identifying what that problem zero is. Oh, that's interesting. Whether you're a seasoned designer or a total novice, with VisMe, you can create engaging, dynamic, branded content that makes people ask, how did you do that? Visit tinyurl.com slash seizevisme to explore. If you're a small business owner or salesperson who struggles with getting the sales results you're looking for, grab a copy of Succeed Without Selling on Amazon and wherever books are sold. And if you haven't seen all audible.com has to offer, you don't know what you're missing. Sign up for a free trial at audibletrial.com slash business growth. Okay, and you talked a little bit about culture. So when when a leader starts going through this process of refounding, are there certain things they should keep in mind when it comes to improving culture? Because it feels like that could be a landmine of its own. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think of culture as, um, you know, there's maybe three particular steps I like to, like to think through and, and coach people through. And, and the first is the most basic and it's literally having legitimate job descriptions. And, you know, some people would say, Hey, listen, we're in a five person, 10 person organization. Everybody just, you know, does what they can to make it, to make it work. That's understandable for a period of time. I get that. But as you begin to scale, having an honest dialogue about what you're supposed to do and what you want to do is actually a pretty big deal. Now, it sounds pretty basic, but the next step really is, do you have a growth path? You know, is there a, is there a way that that person sees I can get from here to there? Because you may have a great job description, but unless you, you know, can see the way that you'll grow in the future, um, I think people, people struggle with that. And then I think the third part of, that, of the first part of the foundation really is, can you have candid dialogue about how that's going? And there's so many um, there's so many ways to do that. There's so many ways to do that poorly. Um, but I would say start with the the true fundamentals, uh, the basis of the of the business. And I think as you begin to kind of move up the the actualization pyramid, so to speak, some of the next questions you know begin to be, do we actually have the right fit for our customers? You know, can we give feedback to product about what we're doing and how we're doing it? Um, and then you get to migrate into the, the more important overall things that the philosophy, which is the, 
who are we serving and why? You know, what's the real way that we make the world a better place for this person that we serve? And that, that leans into your bigger purpose. And, you know, without a vision, the people will perish, so to speak. And, and so if you can lean into, this is why I do what I do. And then you answer the question of community. This is how we do it. You know, this is how we roll in our organizational culture. This is how we solve problems. This is how we argue. This is how we debate. This is how we celebrate. Then you can get to the really, really good stuff, which is how am I known and challenged at work? And so as you've, as you've laid that uh, foundation, then you can get into the, the really, you know, the parts where you can express your risk-taking muscles together because you're being authentically known, you're vulnerable, and you're being challenged. This is so great. I, as you were talking about that, I was thinking one of the um, additional benefits of creating that sort of, you know, this is how we work, this is how we do things, is that it gives people a sense of security and confidence that the more uh, loosely uh, run program doesn't necessarily. I would think that that would then help the rest of the people in the organization um, uh, support the refounding, whatever it is, that, that it would make that whole process smoother as opposed to people wondering how that is going to impact them in the long term. Yeah, absolutely. And I think these principles apply, you know, regardless of whether the organization's in the middle of a refounding, you know, these are just the, the yeah. principles of a good culture in, a, in an organization. Yeah, you know, people, people deserve to know really what's required of them, you know, and not have a, a weird, passive aggressive relationship with what their responsibilities are. Right. And they, they also deserve to have a career path. People want to grow. Yeah. And they, they, they do want to learn new things. They do want to do new things. And so being able to chart a path for here, there is a, um, it's a, it's really a, it's a right of an employee. And, you know, from there, like I said, you get to go to the, the fun stuff and, you know, being um, active in terms of feedback with the clients, with the products, you know, are we, are we really walking the walk? You know, are we really doing what we say we want to do? Um, and then getting inspired, you know, about our, our clients and the people we serve and the mission that we're on. Those things um, put together, you know, create the, the fertile ground for an awesome culture. Yeah, right. And, and a great culture is more than uh, like having a ping pong table in the back room or free food on Fridays. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, it's funny because you can, you can do that kind of culture test, right. By, by checking out companies online and, and seeing the way they portray themselves. And, you know, there's a, there's a quote from the late uh, Tony Shea where he would say that um, brand is a lagging indicator of culture. And, and I love that comment from Tony because, you know, we can put together cool websites, we can get ping pong tables and kegerators or vegan food, um, we can um, have honeybees on our, on our roof, like you can do all these cool things if you want. Um, but at the end of the day, the customer is really going to experience the culture. 
And so put all the time and the impact you want into brand. But when the customer picks up the phone or instant messages you or experiences your product uh, and has that interaction, that's your culture. That's ultimately your brand. Oh boy, that is a great point. That is a great point. And that is so important. I, I wonder if, I mean, hopefully, uh, you know, folks will read the book and, and listen to this and realize that what goes on internally has a lot to do with the interaction then with the customer and how the customer perceives the company, you know, its stability, it's. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, um, you know, as, as, as I think about our relationship to clients, you know, I mean, look, if you, if you have a culture of people who are shouting at each other in the office and bickering, yeah. and you've got all kinds of fiefdoms, you know, how's that going to play out when you're with the customer? It, it, it won't work well. And it really just points back to the, you know, the idea that integrity, I mean, do you, do you have integrity? Uh, and really integrity, meaning like, does your system respond the same way throughout? And that doesn't mean that, you know, you're going to have different behaviors based on, you know, your different personality types. That's, that's more typical. So that's not what I'm referring to, but, you know, if you, if you have a culture that's in, in a growth mindset in your organization, the customer will experience that and love you for it. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. Okay. Now, um, what if someone is not a leader in a business? Like, let's say it's, you know, the, the guy on the production floor. Can he be a refounder? Absolutely. One of the stories I share in the book is about a, um, an intern. And so we had an intern um, who, who was with us for about nine months. It was a fellowship and then ultimately matriculated to be a full-time employee. And the story is about a fellow named Billy. And we got a, we got a late night email from Billy. Um, it, was, it was actually early morning, two in the morning, uh, after he had been there, maybe about a year. And, you know, my initial reaction in the morning when I read it was nothing good happens after midnight. This is, this is not, what has Billy been up to, right? And instead, what it was, was it was a, um, a very focused, very candid note um, that said, listen, I've, I've been here a year. I've observed some things. I think we can do some things better. And he had a very specific prescription. He said, listen, I, I will buy you this book if you're willing to read the first chapter. And I have a feeling it will help us in our strategic planning. So just, you know, soak that in for a minute, right? So Billy sent that to uh, the, the C-level. So, you know, CEO, CFO, CTO, uh, et cetera. And you know, this is a person who is one year out of college. And so once you get over your initial shock, you know, or even, you know, who does this guy think he is? <laughs> you, you recognize that, no, we set the culture table where Billy was willing to challenge us. And so, you know, yes, there's probably a moment of fluster where you read it and think, who's this guy? Yeah. But then you realize this is what we wanted. Right. And so then as we dug deeper on, on Billy's note, we said, well, hey, listen, we'll, we'll buy the book, Billy. You don't, you know, you're fresh out of college. You should save your money. 
Um, and then it turns out that the advice was excellent. And Billy was reminding us of something that we knew, but had kind of fallen out of the practice. And so our strategic planning was, uh, you know, we're in a super high growth environment. So in many cases, growing 100% a year and more. And you can look at those lag indicators, let's grow 100% a year or more, and start to begin to forget about those leading indicators that really are the, the things that get you there. And so Billy's nudging, you know, to us was, let's get really serious and tight about lead measures for the entire organization, not just the, the highest level board goals, but they should all trickle down to every, every single department. Every single person should recognize a lead indicator of how they're contributing to the overall success. And so, you know, with your question about a, a um, production manager, how can they impact the answer, I think, is hopefully succinctly uh, described in the story of Billy. I mean, a, a, um, you know, a first year person uh, speaking truth to power in a way that is uh, humble enough, but strong enough that we could understand. And, you know, it, it put our strategic planning process uh, for a period of at least uh, three years, you know, on a different trajectory and, and helped us scale and continue to grow and you know in that period of time around 100 percent a year that is such a great story i i really appreciate that i agree with you that definitely spells it out and the other thing that i heard was that you realized you had created the culture that allowed billy to do that yeah that, that's definitely something I'm, I'm really passionate about because you know i've gotten a lot of notes over the past few um, months from CEOs and other leaders, and I'm speaking to their management teams about the book. But one of the most important takeaways really is, how do you create the fertile soil of your founders in your organization? How do the next level leaders learn this in the first month that they're at your organization? How do they know that this is acceptable and approved? And um, you know, how do you set that up? For, for those next level leaders. Now, we all, need the, we all need the learning, there's no doubt, but creating that culture early and letting people recognize that, you know, this is, this is important to us, that's the, that's the advantage. Yeah, no kidding. Wow, that's a great story, I so appreciate it. And I so appreciate you, Patrick, joining me and, and sharing this information about this ReFounders movement. I, it is fascinating to me. So thank you. And will you tell the listeners how they can find you, how they can get the book, anything else you think they need to know, please? Yeah, absolutely. You can learn more at refounder.com. Um, you can follow me on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, and you can pick the book up anywhere books are sold. Excellent. That is great. Well, thank you again so much for sharing all of this it fascinating. I, I just, I love this. I think it's hopeful and, and forward moving and a, a really positive thing. So thank you. It's great. Diane, thanks for the opportunity to speak with your listeners and thanks for the work you're doing. It's important. Oh, thank you. Absolutely. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Discover more episodes of this podcast and explore others at evergreenpodcast.com. As always, continue to prosper and be curious. 
And if you're looking to get your sales strategy headed in the right direction, pick up a copy of Succeed Without Selling on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Until we meet again on another episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, goodbye and good day. Hey friends, this is Jim Knight, former 21-year Hard Rock executive turned best-selling author and top 10 keynote speaker. And I'm Brant Menzwar, former frontman of Hollywood's most dangerous band turned top 10 motivational speaker and best-selling author. We host the how-to podcast, Thoughts That Rock, where we talk to rock stars, athletes, CEOs, astronauts, and even next-door neighbors who share their expertise and opinions. Together, we tackle the most interesting and challenging topics of today. Whether you want to learn how to become more confident, how to deal with anxiety at work, or how to write a hit song, or use Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in life. We've got hundreds of episodes to help amp up your life and move you forward. Subscribe to Thoughts That Rock wherever you listen to podcasts and check out evergreenpodcast.com for more information.